let's say in the last, uh, I don't know, three to six months. My name is Roy Chang. I'm the, actually the English pastor at Seattle Giants Alliance Church. Uh, it's so good to be back, and um, I just want to thank everyone again for the gift of sabbatical. Um, my wife and I uh, missed you guys immensely. Our, our whole family is just incredibly grateful, incredibly grateful for the gift and for the monetary gift uh, that you guys personally gave to us. We used that to go to Paris. Pretty cool. Your money used to finance that and to give us like the best chocolate croissants, you know, in the world every day we had that. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and so I kind of want to just start off today a little bit the way I ended six months ago, which is I just feel like I just feel with a lot of gratitude. And I just want to say a word of thanks to uh, a few people because, you know, the church continues to move on. And as important as the lead pastor position is, the church has never depended on solely the lead pastor. It's ordinary people like us who do the everyday work of, ex of responding to an extraordinary God and the extraordinary purposes that he's calling us to. So I want to say thank you to our English ministry deacons, our uh, koinonia counselors, our new life counselors, our challengers counselors, uh, four-year course staff, our, all of our Sunday school teachers, our worship leaders, our AV guys, all the different uh, missional teams we have, relational depth, relational um, holiness, relational mission. I want to thank John. I haven't seen John here yet, but John G., I want to thank him. He does double duty as both deacon and a board member, Jason Chan. I need to thank Paula Rose for all those messages, right, given to us these past six months. And then a big, big, big thanks for a lot of the, the strategic load and the logistical load. It falls on your pastors, Pastor Tung and Julie Doe. So just a big hand to all these guys. Thank you so much. Really, really good. So in September, as I was preparing to enter back into church, I just began thinking about what is the next sermon series we're going to do, something kind of light, something that could ease us in, ease myself even into back into ministry. And so I thought we would go through the book of Romans. All right? Nice light reading, okay? Um, but we've never done a book study through Romans. Of course, we have, have had messages through Romans. But uh, I just thought I, I did. I wanted to challenge myself as well. And um, so we're going to go through the book of Romans. It's probably going to take us about three, maybe four months. But we're going to go through not exactly line by line, but we're going to go through milestone through milestone. How does the argument and the logic of Romans move through the book? So we're going to be going through milestone passages that move the book of Romans forward, okay? So you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. So right between Acts and 1 Corinthians. And as you turn there, I just want to remind you that whenever we do these type of book studies, I just give the same advice that I always do, which is during your regular time that you spend with the Lord during the week, just want to encourage you to read through Romans, either in one whole sitting, it takes about 30 to 4 minutes, I know, it's a big commitment there, or just chapter by chapter, like a chapter every day. And it's going to really help you have a scope and, and kind of engage in with the messages that we're doing every week. It's just going to be a lot more rich for you if you will also immerse yourself in the book of Romans as we go through, okay? It's such a, a kind of a seminal, important text uh, for all of us, okay? So Romans chapter 7, uh, beginning at verse 1, and hang on a second, let me turn there myself, and then I need to pray. Definitely want to do that. All right, I'm there. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for uh, gathering us all here today. Love being in your house, love being in your house of prayer, 
house of worship, house of fellowship, house where the presence, the purposes of God reign supreme over all. We thank you, Father, for being such a loving, wonderful, beautiful, caring, gracious God that you would call us to know you, that you would call us into community together, and that you've given us incredible passion, purpose, energy, and intention in calling us to reach this world that needs you. And so we thank you, Father, that you love us individually, but you also loved us and called us collectively, God, to fulfill your purposes in this earth. So we thank you that starting today and for the next a couple months, that we can really be immersed in the word of God. The word of God alone that in some ways doesn't even need a pastor. It's the word of God as just an individual reads. and The Holy Spirit empowers that reading and that hearing to change our hearts so that our hearts would just be more and more worshipful and more and more transformed into the image and into the mind of God so that we might understand, Father, your purposes and glorify you in greater, greater capacity in our lives. So we thank you, Father, for this, this day today. Thank you for the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 1, uh, going through verses 1 through 7. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and through whom the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. I just got to stop there for a second, just because I love that part, because he says even Jesus had this dual aspect, this dual nature about him. There is this fleshly part that he was a man, but then there's this other spiritual part where he was so much more. He was God. And it's a bit of a reflection of who we are, because a lot of times we just see, the, see ourselves as just ordinary people who can't do very much, but there's a spiritual side of the way that God calls us and God sees us to so much greater than what we see, how we see ourselves. Verse 5, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I love this opening uh, section because this is actually a very typical letter, uh, Greek letter. But Paul, he never makes anything really typical. He actually saturates these first seven verses with a lot of theology. And it's all centered on one word that he repeats over and over again. And in the Greek, it's the word kletos, kletos. And the word kletos, it means called. It means summoned. It means this expectation that you're going to call, God's going to call, someone's going to call, and then you're going to actually show up. So it's an adjective, and adjectives describe nouns. And in verse 1, call is the noun. And so this is where the word called shows up in this couple passages. In that verse 1, uh, Paul is called to God. He's called to apostleship as a leader in the church. Then in verse 5, it says, through him we have received grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles. So those who are called of God are also then also called to reach those who do not go know God. Then in verse 6, it says, and you also are among those Gentiles 
the called of God to call others. Verse 6, and you are also among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. So we're called into community. So in these opening verses, that word kletos, there's three ways that Paul uses that word kletos, three ways in which God himself is calling us by name. He's calling us out with the expectation that we're actually going to show up. So just those three things again, three callings is the call to know Jesus, the call to call others to Jesus, and the call to community. And what's important here is that God is calling us by name to these three very specific things. And what might be a surprise is that some of you don't know that how, how much we're being called by name to these very specific things. I have to admit, I'm kind of, you know, um, ashamed to admit this, but I didn't know like, how to pronounce my Chinese name, my real Chinese name, until I got to my sophomore year of college, right? And so in my sophomore year of college, I took an ele uh, intensive elementary Chinese class, right? And in the very first week, the teacher said, uh, one thing I need to do is I need to get, make sure that you all have Chinese names, right? So some of us were Asian, and we would, and so he said, you need to go home and figure out, you know, ask your parents or things like that, what are the Chinese characters for your name? And for some people who were non-Chinese, they had to, you know, he would give their name, and he would do kind of like a pinyin type of, you know, tra translation uh, into Chinese. And so um, that was Monday, and then the next class, uh, we came in, and I had my mom help me, and my mom wrote down my Chinese name because it's really bad. I can't even write my name in Chinese. And so we, we handed the teacher, and so he kind of went through each person's name. It's kind of interesting. Went through each person's name and taught a lot of bit, little bit about what these characters mean and how to pronounce it and things like that. So when it got to my name, he said, uh, he just said, okay, so Roy, so what's your Chinese name? He said, and I, so I said, my name is Wei Su, Wei Su. Then he looks at my character and he says, your name's not Wei Su. He says, your name is Wei Sure, Wei Sure. And I said, but my mom told me, he always told me my name's Wei Su. He says, no, here we speak Mandarin in the Beijing dialect, right? So he said, no, your name is Wei Sure. And I said, are you sure? <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I wanted to say that because it would have been really funny. Uh, but I didn't say that because he's an older gentleman, Chinese guy, you know, like this. Um, but it was just funny that I was like, all this time, I, maybe my mom didn't think I could pronounce it right. You know, she's probably right. But I just found out in my, in my sophomore college that my name is Zhang Wei Sure. That's my real name. That's how I'm called. That's how I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to respond to that name. So there's some of us, when it comes to this particular calling of God, God is calling each of us by name. And he's calling us to very specific, very good purposes. So let's dive in, okay? The first one is the call to know Jesus. The call to be in intimate relationship with God. That's verse 1. So when Paul says that he's called to be an apostle, that apostolic designation it's really important. It's important to understand what these, what these words mean. An apostle, if, God, if you were called an apostle, it wasn't just the title of position like pastor. It just means like you're this general leading of the, you're a leader of the church. When the Bible uses this very specific term apostle, it actually only applies to those church leaders who actually knew Jesus, who actually had face-to-face interaction, who actually knew Jesus. We're in his, that core group of maybe the 12, 24, the 72. So you had to have very specific requirements to be called an apostle of God. You had to know Jesus. So what's interesting, okay, if you know this, 
The Apostle Paul, he's called an apostle. Did Apostle Paul know Jesus? Did he have a personal relationship where he actually got to see Jesus face to face? Was the Apostle Paul one of the original 12? Was he one of the original 72? No, right? Okay, good. Hope, hopefully I'll work here on that. Apostle Paul was not one of the original, right? What it was, what made, what made the church give the Apostle Paul that designation as an apostle was his particular testimony. And we all know that he was on the road to Damascus. The bright line shone. He was blinded. And he called out and said, who are you? Who is this? Who are you, Lord? And, of course, Jesus answers back. And he says, I'm Paul. I, I, I'm Jesus, the one, that has been, that, the one that you're persecuting. And in that moment, boom, everything that he understood from his upbringing, from who he heard Jesus was, from understanding so well the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, all of his teaching under Gamaliel, everything in that moment pointed to Jesus as the Christ. And we know that his life, right, was forever changed. He responded. He entered into a relationship with God. And Paul had so much transformation in his life. It was so radical and so deep that all the other apostles were saying, you must have seen Jesus. You must have really had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus because your life is so radically different. And they conferred on him that name and that title. You're an apostle of the church. Now, I know that when we think of ourselves, right, because there's this particular hope that maybe someday, maybe one day, or maybe it seems too out of reach, I don't know, but that people would say similar things about us. That after they've spent some time with, with us, that people just might say, because we've been so changed and radically transformed by the good news of the gospel, that when people spend time with us behind our backs, they might actually say, wow, that guy, that girl, maybe they've, something's different about them. I mean, they've, they've been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. And I know sometimes we can look at ourselves so easily and say, that no one will ever say that about me. You know, I just can't change that much. I just can't do that much. And what you need to know is that this calling to know Jesus is a deep calling for transformation. Does anyone here want to change? You want to raise your hand? Like, does anyone here ever say, like, I want to be a better dad? Does anyone say that? Does anyone say, like, I want to be a better wife? I, I want to be a better daughter. I want to be a better son. I want to be a better employee. Does, has anyone ever said, I, I, need to, I need to, no. Has anyone ever said, I love really well? Like, I just love everybody. Has anyone ever like that? Like, I'm just filled with love all the time. I'm filled with joy all the time. Anyone want to say that? Okay, thank you. Right, we got one. Awesome. We need to follow you. Come up here and preach, you know. But, yeah, it's like when we look at ourselves, we can see each other, see, if we could just have, again, not being like too depressive of ourselves. But when we look at ourselves, there's a realism. Like, we want to change. Like, I need to love more. I need to stop being so jealous and start praying for other people's success. You know, I want to stop being so bitter. I want to stop being so frustrated. I want to be stop uh, being filled with so much anxiousness. I need to change. And the invitation to this calling is to know God. And as you grow in intimacy with God and as the love of God 
begins to infect you, you change. And that's the hope for every single one of us, that we are called into this loving, intimate relationship with God so that we might know the God of the universe, that we would know our Heavenly Father, that He was calling to us, that He wants to be known. And we change. And for some of you here today, maybe you've been coming to church and you're not a Christian. Maybe you've just kind of been exploring this thing. Maybe you're asking the universe that same question. Like, who are you? Is there a God? Who are you, Lord? And if you're asking that question, the very, I want you to know this, that the very fact that you're asking that question, that your soul feels like there's something missing, that you need that question to be answered, that is the very evidence of God's calling in your life. That is actually God drawing you to ask those questions because he wants to be known. And he wants you to keep asking, seeking, and knocking. And so I'm so glad you're here today. If, you're, if, that, if that describes you, you're not really sure who God is, you're kind of exploring these things, I want to add a little more clarity to what God is calling you towards, okay? So just receive a couple of these things. Jesus is the one who loves you unconditionally. Jesus is the one who loves you unconditionally. There was, I mean, your parents come close, okay? <laughs> your parents come close to loving you unconditionally. But no one loves you unconditionally, not like Jesus, unconditionally. So much of our world is based on, like, performance love, or uh, there's actually just a lot of judgment so much in our culture. God is the one who created you, who knows your thoughts, all the good ones and all the bad, and he loves you unconditionally. Jesus is the one who died for all of your sins. You know, we all, there's, we, we know there's a need for justice in this world, and there's a need for justice in our own lives. And if we could sum up all the ways that we've sinned, all the ways that we've had the wrong thoughts or the wrong actions or the wrong attitudes or the, just the ways that we've been unloving to others, I want you to know that God has paid the price on the cross to forgive you of all of your sins, to forgive you so that you might have life now and eternity. And Jesus also is calling you to know him, to have an intimate relationship, a faithful relationship with him, so that you would have great intention for your life and live life to its greatest abundance. Now, there's one thing. For some of you, what I just said is like old news, right? It's like I've heard that before. You need to know this, is that as long as you've been a Christian, 10, 20, 30, whatever it is that you know, however long it might be, when you are going through a tough spot in life, when you feel like you're drifting away from God, do you know what you do? You don't go and read a commentary, okay? You just go back to these very basic, simple, powerful truths of God's unconditional love for you. That's how you get your heart back. That's how you get your spirit back. That's when you're dead. That's when, that's the CPR that makes you come alive. So just really quickly, I'm just going to read those things again for you old timers. Because sometimes the old timers need to receive it a little bit more than people don't even know God. All right? So I'm going to say those things again. All right? Number one is that Jesus, that he loves you unconditionally. Your worth and value to him has never depended on how you felt about yourself, whether you're good Christian day or bad Christian day. God loves you unconditionally. 
Jesus is the one who created you. He knows your thoughts, good and bad and ugly, inside and out. And he loves you because he created you. Jesus is the one who died for all of our sins. And I know for some of you, that was a long time ago you made that decision. But we still sin, right? God, his saving grace and his power and ability to rescue is present in the now. That's why you always know there is forgiveness and redemption for you in the now, in your worst moments. And that Jesus is the one true noble God who is calling. He is the one who's calling us into relationship, faithful relationship with him. Amen? Amen. I need that. You need that. That's the first call is to know God, is to know God. Second is the call to call others to Jesus. That's the second calling that God is asking us to respond to, the call to call others to Jesus. So Paul shares that God called him, and because of that love that so infected him, he's inspired to join with God to call others to Jesus. So I just thought we would do just a really quick thought experiment, all right? I want you to think about who are the one or two people, maybe it's just a group, who were the people that were instrumental in calling you to Jesus? You just take a moment and think about that person. Who's the person that you would say, you know, I'm sitting in this pew today, right? Because one, this one person's witness. Who's that person? And when you think about that person, this is what I want you to know, is that that particular person, when they, I don't know, when they invited you to church, when they gave you a ride somewhere, you know, Sunday school, um, when they took that chance to, I don't know, to pull you aside at work or take you out for lunch or have dinner with you and have a more spiritual, more deep conversation, I want you to know that that took guts, right? That there was amount of bravery behind that. Because I guarantee you this, they probably felt what you feel when it comes to having spiritual conversations with people that you know. And usually it feels like this, I, I don't want to offend everybody, right? If I talk, talk about Jesus, they're going to think I'm a freak, right? They're gonna, I'm one of those extremists. I'm like the Taliban, right? I'm like the Christian equivalent of the Taliban, right? I mean, they're going to just think you're this off person or it might ruin our friendship, Right? It's, it's maybe inappropriate. It's at the workplace, so it might be kind of politically incorrect or impolite. And you have all this anxiety. What gets you over the top of that? It's love. It's love. Someone loved you enough to be brave, to speak truth, to speak invitation of the calling of God that's on your life. It took someone or a group of people to love you enough to be brave. Right? That's who God is calling us to be. That's how we need to be. How do you find that bravery? You go back to the very first call, the call to know God. Because it's in that intimate relationship with God, as we're being formed by God's love, that we might have enough love to get over our own insecurities. When I think about that first person who uh, was brave enough to begin that introduction to Jesus Christ, I remember my friend in high school, this would be, I think, my junior in high school, name was Antoinette, Antoinette Flores, uh, one of my really good friends and our, and our group of friends, Filipino. And um, 
I wasn't a Christian at that time, of course. I was, didn't go to church or anything. But in our group of friends, she became Christian. She became the, the Jesus freak among us, all right? And it was really weird. Uh, but then one day, she said, Roy, I want you to, I want you to read. She was trying to witness to me. I know how, many, how much guts it took to do that because none of us, like, went to church. It was so odd that she was, became a Christian. And so uh, during that time, I was into games and, like, books like a lot of the Dungeons and Dragons and things like that, okay? And so she said, Roy, I want you to read the Bible. Just, just do me a favor. Just read it. Would you read the book of Revelation? Okay? Now, normally, pastors will tell you if you want to, like, help ease someone into Scripture, like, read Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, okay? But she told me, read Revelation, right? That's just how messed up and wacky I am, right? Because I was into those Dungeons and Dragons. And so I read the book of Revelation. And I was like, this is fascinating. These, these dragons are, what are these things? You know, with the crowds and all this stuff like that. But, and I read through it, and I was totally mesmerized with the book. I was like, what is this kind of writing? Because I've never read anything, anything like it. And again, this is coming from a total pagan, non-Christian view. I was fascinated with the book of Revelation. But let me tell you what caught me, what caught my attention. What caught my attention was in the very end of Revelation. It talks about all the people from all nations gathered. And there was a river that ran through it with the two trees, and then God's at the center, and it's glowing, and it's bright, and everyone is filled with peace and love. And forget about the dragons. It's that vision of what eternity looks like, that vision of what God is calling the church and the world to, that blew my mind. That God that if there was a God, that he could be that good, that that's his vision for our future, for those that are near to God and those that are far away, that God desperately wants to see this vision of all nations and all peoples coming to the presence of God with peace and love. Amazing. And redemption. Beautiful and amazing. And so I didn't come to Christ or anything like that. She tried a couple times, but I just told her, hey, I'm not interested in going to church or anything like that. Thank you for sharing with me. But that piece was just another piece that I needed in my journey to coming to know God. And so for all of us, just remember this. It is our part to communicate and to invite people to know a little bit more about who God is. But it's always the Holy Spirit's job, as I was reading, it's always the Holy Spirit's job to open up your mind and open up your heart and to convict. All right? So your part, in a sense, is really easy. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and he'll do that. He'll do that. One more last piece of encouragement when it comes to the call to call others to Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, you can turn there if you want to. Ephesians 6, verses 19 through 20, the author shares a prayer request, and he prays this. He's, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, and he says, pray on my behalf. He's asking the church in Ephesus, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So he's saying, I'm going to go teach some people, I'm going to be preaching the gospel. I'm asking you, if you will pray for me specifically for this word, boldness. He says, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. 
all right? He's saying, I, I know that there's a part of me that's timid, but I know there's something in me. I ought to speak a little more boldly, but it's kind of hard. So twice in this particular prayer request, the author is asking for prayers that he, when he's preaching the gospel, that he might speak boldly. And so have I said this before? Whenever there's a prayer in the Bible, whenever there's prayer in the text, whether it's Jesus or some other biblical writer, whenever they're asking for prayers or praying for something, they're praying for it because they don't have it, right? You only pray for things that you don't have, right? You don't pray for things that you do have. You might say, thank you. But when you're lacking something, that's what you pray for. So this particular biblical writer in Ephesians is praying that when it comes to sharing the gospel, I feel timid. I need boldness. So you're not alone. Who wrote this? Who wrote that prayer? Anyone want to say? Don't say Jesus. Okay, was it Jesus? It was Paul. Paul wrote that prayer. The same one who wrote the, the book of Romans that we're going through. Paul, considered the greatest missionary, besides Jesus, the greatest missionary to ever live. Paul, the one who seems so bold and so great and so grand, he's desperately asking for boldness so that when he proclaims the gospel, that he does it with courage. So we're not alone. It's good news, all right? He needs it. We need it too. All right, the third call is the call to community. The call to community. That's verse 6. He says you're called to be part of God's holy people. So why is community, why is community so important? Why is there a specific call that Jesus says, you need to get together. You need to meet in groups. You need to be together. Why is that? It's because we all have a tendency to drift. It's because we all have a tendency to drift from God's call. That's what Paul is going to talk about from the middle of chapter 1 to the end of chapter 3. He says, when you look at all of just kind of history and human history and a little bit of Jewish and Christian history, he says that when you look at it, the end of chapter 3, he says, it just seems like there's no one that really seeks God. It just feels like as, as many Christian leaders or religious leaders that there might be, it just seems like there's no one whose heart is like fully there, who's fully after God. And we're up to that. We're like, yeah, amen. We know how hard that can be. But what he's saying is that he understands that we all have a tendency to drift from the call of God. We have a tendency to drift from the call to know Jesus the call to call others, and even the drift to be in community. Now, again, this word, this word, this theological word, kletos, remember, it means called, it means summoned with an expectation that you'll show up. So the question is this, right? For many of us who are old-timers, if you've been called by God, right, who in their right mind, if you have been called by God, if you've entered into this relationship with God and you've sensed the presence and the love of God that has transformed your life, and as you live life through the Holy Spirit and trial after trial where it seems where you know that God has come through for you, where he's blessed you in so many different ways, who in their right mind would still drift away from God? I would, Right? I still have a tendency to drift. Probably you would, right? We all have a tendency to drift. When given the choices of right and wrong, when given the choices between foolish uh, and, and wise, 
Why do we still, a part of us, have a tendency to drift? Not that we'll always choose that, but we still have a tendency that it comes to our mind that we might drift into the wrong, to the foolish. And so we know that it's so easy then. We can drift in our relationships. We can drift in our marriage. We can drift in school. We can drift in our service at church. We can drift um, at work. We can drift in our finances. We can drift in our relationship with, the, with our kids. Have you noticed, right, that in life, life is not conducive where we automatically drift in the right direction, right? Many times, if you want things to go right, if you want to reach the intention that God has for you in your life, it's an upstream swim. You will have people, you will have things that just kind of war against you. It's an upstream effort to think the right thing, to do the right thing, to be the right person. And so how do we help all go upstream? We need community. You need to be community. And sometimes I've heard, you know, different Christians say, hey, you know, I'm, uh, my relationship with God is just a private thing. And so I just kind of, I don't need church. I don't need other people. What I want you to know is, again, this word, kletos, it is a calling of God on every person, on every believer, with the expectation. God has this expectation, right, that you are going to show up that you're going to show up. Have you ever called people, you know, with the expectation to show up, but they don't show up? Have you ever had that? I mean, you call people with the expectation to show up, but they don't show up, you know? Uh, one of the things that, this sabbatical is very different from my first sabbatical. First sabbatical was very cerebral, very deep, and, you know, God speaks to me in that way. But this sabbatical was filled with actually a lot of activity. And one of the activities that I was filled with a lot was I was, I was home. I was Mr. Mom, and so I was cooking and cleaning. My wife has never been so happy. She really thanks you for the sabbatical. Our, wife, our house has never been so clean, our carpets, everything like that. And I was cooking like gourmet meals every night. And so for, who here loves to cook? Who here enjoys cooking? Okay, a lot of people. So you know what it's like when it's dinner time and you've made like a really good meal. And you say, hey, it's time to eat. It's time for dinner. And no one shows up, right? You know that once the dinner, it's hot and it hits the table. You've only got a certain window because when that temperature goes down, the food doesn't taste right, right? You know it's in that certain window. It tastes really, really, really good. I mean, it's so good. And so I'm sitting there. I'm calling, hey, it's dinner time. Hey, it's dinner time. We even have this bell, ding, 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 like that, right? I got it just for that specific purpose, you know? It's dinner time. It's like I do whatever I could do to get my family's attention that I've got something really good. And so I slave over this meal. I'm like, it's dinner time with the expectation to show up. But no one shows up. I just come in really late, you know, and just really ungrateful to people. That live with. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love them. Love them so much. Guys, you know, God created this thing called Christian community, and he calls us into it because he knows that we need it. He knows it's really good. Because every single one of us, not only do we have a tendency to drift, we have a tendency, here it is, here it is, just being really real, we have a tendency to hide our drift. Oh, one of our greatest temptations is to pretend that everything in my life is really good, that everything is up and to the right, that my portfolio with Jesus 
is just amazing and that God is always just blessing me and I feel so good about myself. And we have a tendency to fake it until we make it. Let me tell you the one thing. I've been in small groups all my Christian life. Small groups, mentorships, uh, you know, spiritual. now it's spiritual direction. My wife and I, we both see spiritual directors. Okay, the same one, actually. It helps really well. Let me tell you, this is what I see. This is how small groups die. Small groups die in a lot of different ways. But the most common way that I've experienced uh, small group death is this. See, people think this. If I go into my small group, and if I tell them I'm drifting, I'm going to bring the average down. I don't want to be responsible for bringing the average down, right? And you also think, if I tell my small group that I'm drifting, you're going to start thinking they're going to judge me or they're going to think bad of me. Like, I don't want that, right? I want to look good, right? Both things are not good, okay? Listen, that's not the way that we enter into small groups. And here's when it gets worse. When every person in your small group is drifting, <laughs> all right, when every person in your small group is drifting and no one is telling the truth of where we really are, you are all nailing the coffin. You're all nailing the coffin. Small groups, okay, where, okay, hang on a second. My notes are all, uh, okay, here it is. Community groups don't grow because people aren't being spiritual enough. That's not the issue. Community groups don't grow because people aren't being spiritual enough. Community groups don't grow because people aren't being honest enough. All right? There are so many areas that we have to fake it. And when we're in rows like this, okay, God is not, when he's calling us to community, he's not calling us to these rows. God is calling us to these circles, these intimate circles where we can be real with one another. All right? So, last call, all right? Last call we got to get to. It's not in these seven verses that we read, but uh, you, you know me, like whenever we do any solid exegetical study of a passage or a book needs to deal with context. Because within the context is actually the message, okay? So let me just mention one thing here. This, this last call, it's the fourth call. It's the call to mission. It's the call to mission. Now, a lot of us know Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? It's called uh, the Great Commission. Okay, good, right? Jesus said all what? All, help me out, guys, all uh, authority, okay? in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Therefore, go and make disciples. I see you, Michelle. Awesome. Okay, a young person there. She knows it more than our adults. Okay, all right, yeah. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, yeah, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, right? And I'll be with you to the very end of the age. All right? You can go home and study that. The book of Romans is Paul's is Paul's own personal exegetical understanding of the Great Commission. All right? How, how do I know that? How do we get that? It's all about the literary context. And so for you who've been in, in the discipleship cohorts, we read like this very simple book. It's called How to Read the Bible. Okay? It's, it sounds so basic, right? But there's actually a strategy, a methodology. You have to understand the Bible is not just, I'm just writing haphazardly. It's actually very structured in a lot of different ways. And so there's something in that Bible in our cohorts, right, that a lot of you guys have been through. It's called the chiasm, right? Nod your head, chiasm. I've talked about chiasm before. Chiasm. Let's say chiasm. One, two, three. Chiasm. 
Okay, all right? So it's this Greek structure, all right, where it's a sandwich structure where you have one theme at the top of the book or one thing at the bottom, and then what's in the middle, okay, is kind of the center, and you kind of, it is, is the thrust, and you, and you, um, and you paraphrase, it, it all comes together, okay? So, so here it is. Beginning in verse 8, okay, Paul's going to start talking about his mission, his mission to Rome. That what he's writing this for is like, I want to come visit you, the Roman church, and I want to do some mission work around you. And then in chapter 15, what Paul does is he goes back. He doesn't talk about any kind of mission. In chapter 15, he talks about another, again, mission. I'm coming for you. I'm coming to do mission to you. But I want the Roman church to be the launching point, the launching pad to Spain. So this is important, just, just geography and timelines where this, where this is going on. The book of Acts is all about the church planting movement of the early church. It spans about 25 to 30 years. Paul, at this, it's been done. At this point, Paul is saying, I've done all this mission work on the eastern, on the Mediterranean, on the east side. I'm all done there. Of course, there's always more work to be done. But there's churches doing that work. Now, there needs to be a movement of the gospel to the west. And Rome is going to be, is right here. Rome will be, that church will be the, the jumping off point to the work in Spain. Okay? What's in the, so those, that's what bookends from chapter 1, then to chapter 15. What's in the middle? It's the gospel. Paul spends literally 10 to 11 chapters <laughs> explaining the gospel. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty deep. It's all theological. So how do you interpret that? How do you interpret that? Okay? The book of Romans. Why did Paul write this? The book of Romans is Paul's missiology. It's missiology. How do you interpret that with the two bookends and, and the gospel in the center? Okay? Theology. It's this. Theology inspires missiology. Theology inspires missiology. Paul is trying to gather the church together and rally the church of why it's so important that we need to have a new effort to take the mission of God, the gospel of God, into Spain. And he does that. He says, the way we do that is I want you to understand the gospel really well. Because if you understand the gospel, the gospel should not just be like, I get this knowledge and that I use that knowledge in order to feel good about myself, or I have this knowledge in order to gain more knowledge or to have a deeper knowledge. No. Theology always has a practical missiology. Okay? That's what Paul's getting at. It's beautiful. So people ask you, hey, the book of Romans, it's all about doctrine, right? Well, Paul teaches about doctrine, but why did he write that doctrine? What is the gospel good for? It's to get you on mission with God. I need to close up. Um, I was, uh, uh, again, uh, you know, I'm going to share with you all in kind of small groups and individual one-on-one -on -one about my time in sabbatical, but uh, it was pretty busy, uh, actually, in a good way. And uh, I had two bookend weeks where I was practiced solitude and silence and those things in spiritual formation. So one was like about six weeks where I really needed to decompress. That was um, six weeks into sabbatical. And then in late September, I had another planned uh, about four days of just by myself. So in those, in those four days in, in late September, I went to this place called Big Lake. Anyone ever heard of Big Lake? It's in Mount Vernon. <coughs> Mount Vernon. And I guess they ran out of names for lakes, and they called it Big Lake. It really is a big lake, but that's the name of the lake. And so I was in a house there by myself. It was a beautiful house. It was right on the lake. And so we were just really fortunate. God just really provides people that we know and things like that. And got to spend four days in this beautiful house. 
on the um, uh, very last day, okay, uh, I was already immersed in studying the book of Romans and things like that. And I had the whole day planned out of what I was going to do and study the book of Romans. And um, uh, the, the very last day, it was about maybe 11 o'clock, and I had things set out on the deck and my, my Bible and um, um, uh, a, a commentary on Romans. And as I d- just sat down, um, just, I don't know, everything in the week, this just this, some of the sights and things that I saw just kind of came to me, just different images, and that's how the way God speaks to me. There are people who are skiing, like water skiing, you know, <laughs> or around the big lake. There are people who are kayaking. There's a lot, I took a walk, and there's a lot of other people taking walks, and probably the average age of people taking walks are probably about 60, 65, maybe and up. So this is kind of like a, like a retirement a community, that maybe in some ways. And so as I was sitting there, just getting ready, okay, to go be immersed in my studies. Just a thought to me just came like, this is what retirement feels like, you know? Because every day I'm just, I have no schedule, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm just sitting there and enjoying the lake and I'm studying and I'm reading and, I mean, I've got nothing on my schedule, you know? I mean, it's just really chill. And I was like, this is what retirement looks like. I'm thinking like, this is what everyone is after, you know, so many people are pursuing that. I gotta get build up that nest egg, and you know, I need to get all this stuff so I can so I can retire, and I can I could just sit here, <laughs> you know, and um, and then the question came to me was like, uh, Hey, Roy, are you ready to retire? And I'll just tell you, when I got that question, I freaked out. I freaked out. I was like, God, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. God, this is not what I want to do right now. I mean, literally, I was freaking out. I, 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 was, I was just thinking, like, if, if God just told me to stop, like, don't do any ministry, don't, like, don't do anything. Yeah, I, I was freaking out. <laughs> because for me, as long as I got breath, I want to live out the intention of God. I think a lot of us have this idea of, like, retirement's this big goal. And we're all, like, just trying to get to this place where we can relax. And I just want to tell you this. In life, you can retire from work. You can retire from your job. You can retire from school. There's even a part where you can retire from your parenting. But as a follower of Christ, I hope you know that you can never retire from God's intention for your life. Amen? And I'm telling you, it freaked me out. You know, because I was like, God, as long as I have breath, I want to serve you. I want to follow you. And I had my whole day planned out, but I packed up all my stuff. Right, right when I, After I had those, those thoughts, I immediately, I started packing up. I said, I'm, I'm done with this retreat stuff. It's not good for me. Uh, you know, I don't want to retire. I want to get to work. And so I just, I packed up all my stuff. I was like, I need to get out of here. I need to, I need to go be productive again, you know? I mean, we all need those times of, of okay, okay. But I was like, I, I need to get back with my family. Uh, I just want to be in this environment where there's, where there's hum and buzz and work. Because and, as long as I have breath, I know I'm not done. Church, as long as you have breath, you're not done. You are not dead. You are alive. Church, are you dead? No. Church, are you dead? Okay, I just want to think about this, okay? I'm going to ask you that one more time, okay? But when you say no, don't say no to me. When I ask you if you're dead, 
say no to your soul. Does that make sense? Like, say no to yourself. Call yourself up. Christ is, Christ is there. You're not dead. You have breath. You're not dead. Church, are you dead? No. Right? One more time. Church, are you dead? No. Got to keep working on that, okay? <laughs> I know. It's hard. Life is hard because we drift and we feel so far. We're like, oh, I don't know. I don't. Church, you are alive in Christ because the spirit of living God is living in you. We need to remind ourselves of that every, every, every single day, every moment when we feel so dead, when we feel like we've drifted away. There is a God whose call is so strong. He says, if you will just answer, because he's calling out there, the call to know him, to be so immersed in that life of Christ that you have so much of that you begin to respond to that call and it becomes a little bit easier and even not as scary to share your faith and a call to want to be with others and to want to make community good for other people because you know that your life is filled with the greatest intention of the mission of God. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day today. And um, thank you for every life here. And I know that you speak to people in all different ways. And I know that it's so easy for us to forget what our name is and forget what you are calling us into. So thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for calling us into the most intimate relationship with our heavenly father, the God of the universe, a relationship filled with unconditional love that actually transforms us. And thank you, Father, that your desire is to fill us, fill us with so much love, so much courage, so much bravery, that we would take the message of the good news of the gospel to this world, to our, our families, our homes, our neighborhoods, our city, and all across this world. And thank you, Father, that SCAC is a place where we could do that. And thank you, Father, that you call us to the community. And community, we know, is one of the most difficult things. And it's really scary, too, because a lot of times we just don't want to show people our drift. But help us to remember that it's when we're weak that we begin to feel the strength of your grace in all of our lives. And I pray that for us as a church that, just as we've done, that we just... Ask that question to ourselves. Am I dead? Do I, you know, am I out of breath? No. And that we would speak to our souls every day because we know that Christ is the center and that we would come alive with your, pur with your passion, your energy, your purpose, and intention. God, increase our faith and build up our faith. Thank you for loving so much, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Can we all stand and let's sing together.